0: Hello, and welcome to the Carvana Second Quarter 2022 Earnings Conference Call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star, then 1 on a touch-tone phone. To withdraw your question, please press star, then then two. Please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please note this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mike Levin, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, MJ. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us on Carvana's second quarter 2022 earnings conference call. Please note that this call will be simultaneously webcast on the investor relations section of the company's corporate website at investors.carvana.com. The second quarter shareholder letter is also posted on the IR website. Also, we posted a set of supplemental financial tables for Q2 to assist investors in understanding the moving pieces this quarter with the consolidation of Edessa, and we've updated our operating plan deck to reflect the addition of Edessa. Both can be found on the events and presentations page of our IR website. Joining me on the call today are Ernie Garcia, Chief Executive Officer, and Mark Jenkins, Chief Financial Officer. Before we start, I would like to remind you that the following discussion contains forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws, including, but not limited to, Carvana's market opportunities and future financial results that involve risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from those discussed here. A detailed discussion of the material factors that cause actual results to differ from forward-looking statements can be found in the risk factor section of Carvana's most recent Form 10-K and Form 10-Q for the first quarter 2022. The forward-looking statements and risks in this conference call are based on current expectations as of today, and Carvana assumes no obligation to update or revise them, whether as a result of new developments or otherwise. Unless otherwise noted on today's call, all comparisons are on a year-over-year basis. Our commentary today will include non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations between GAAP and non-GAAP metrics for our reported results can be found in our shareholder letter issued today, a copy of which can be found on our investor relations website. And now with that said, I'd like to turn the call over to Ernie Garcia.
2: Ernie? Thanks, Mike, and thanks everyone for joining the call. The second quarter was probably the most dynamic quarter we've had at Carvana. We shifted our priorities for the first time in company history to favor efficiency and cash flow in recognition of the changes to the market and the economic landscape, as well as to enable us to quickly adjust to changes in our industry that had caused our expenses to be out of balance with sales volumes. We also complete our acquisition of Odessa in a transaction that we believe will be transformative over time. First, I want to hit our change in priorities to favor efficiency and cash flow. We began to make the biggest changes inside the company in May. These changes have been significant. They've resulted in prioritization shifts across every group in the business. They've resulted in the creation of new processes to increase focus and drive progress on these priorities. While it is early in the execution of our plan, this is going very well so far. At Carvana, we've always set high standards for ourselves, and I think it's one of the reasons we've been pretty successful so far. In the long run, the ability to keep pressure on ourselves is probably one of the greatest differentiators in how groups of people perform, but there's no substitute for the focus and motivation provided by market and economic disruption. Everyone feels it, and difficulty reveals people. What is revealing about the people of Carvana is something I already knew and something I can't thank them all enough for. The people of Carvana care, and they don't shy away from a challenge. They're fighters. The people of Carvon are focused in making faster progress than we have made at any point in our history. They're working hard, but they're finding the fun in it, and they're making change they're proud of. And as a result, we are rolling out new capabilities, products, and processes at an incredible rate. Our plan is to continue until we reach our goals. This drove a lot of progress in the quarter in a short period of time. We grew units sequentially by over 10% and reduced total SG&A by 5% at the same time, causing us to drive cash SG&A down per unit by $850 in the quarter to $5,400. We've set a stretch goal to hit 4,000 cash SG&A per unit in the fourth quarter, excluding impacts from Medessa. This is going to be a hard mark to hit, but so far we're on the path. From there, we will continue to our midterm goal of 3000 per unit. We will keep pushing. We also drove up GPU by $500 in the quarter to $3,400. We provided some bridges back to 4,500 and beyond in our shareholder letter. The biggest thing separating us from climbing back to that level is execution. We'll be pushing here as well. Now turning to the Odessa acquisition. We were excited about joining forces with Odessa when we completed the deal. Now that we've begun working with the team, we are more excited. First, I want to give credit to the Odessa team. They've embraced us in a way that we couldn't have reasonably expected. They're a fun group of warm people who are enthusiastic about doing right by their customers and about finding ways to do even better. On a personal level, it has been fun to meet so many people inside the company to learn from them and to see how interested they are in learning from us. Our alignment is leading to extremely fast progress in our integration. We already have over half the cars we buy from our customers that we plan to sell through the wholesale channel landing at 46 Odessa locations nationwide. We've already embedded market operations hubs at 18 Odessa sites. Odessa is already reconditioning over 500 cars a week in locations that complement our existing IRC footprint, primarily on the coast. In addition, we have also already deepened our relationship with Hertz in ways we couldn't have without Odessa. Over time, we expect Odessa to dramatically increase the scale and customer proximity of our inspection center network. We expect it to strengthen and simplify our logistics capabilities, and we expect to find cost savings and revenue opportunities that wouldn't be possible without our combined capabilities. We still have a long way to go to complete our integration, and this is another area where we will continue to push. Now I'd like to turn to what we're thinking about the near term. We're going to maintain our current priorities for the foreseeable future to drive efficiencies that we believe serve our short and long-term goals best in this environment. While we continue to expect to rapidly gain market share, our shift in focus means growth in units and revenue will be slower than it otherwise would be in the short term. We also don't know exactly what to expect from industry-level sales in the near term in light of everything going on in the economy. In July, for example, there was another industry-wide reduction in demand levels which has impacted us as well. We have meaningful latent demand and several levers to drive growth, which we will begin to pull over time, but the speed that we pull those levers will be driven by the progress we are making in our higher priorities. In more difficult times, people tend to get more nearsighted. There are good reasons for this. There is value in dialing into important cost fundamentals to get less attention in easier times. And as you can see from our priorities, we are focusing more on fundamentals in this environment as well. That said, it is still important to maintain awareness of the mountain we are climbing. Through a long-term lens, Q2 has the potential to be one of our greatest quarters. It has served as a catalyst to put more focus on driving efficiency. This was something we were going to do at some point anyway, and the environment has provided pressure that we will use to make progress faster than we likely would have otherwise. Our visibility to much higher volumes remains high. On the demand side of the equation, we continue to take market share in this environment, and the market shares we have in our most mature cohorts provide a clear map to growing volume dramatically. In addition, previous periods of economic strain have accelerated consolidation in our industry. On the supply side, the acquisition of Odessa is a game changer. Simply put, execution is all that separates us from millions of sales per year. From a GPU perspective, our bridge back to 2021 levels is straightforward, and from there, opportunity remains. SG&A has been and remains our biggest opportunity. We have a clear plan. That plan is being aggressively executed against with concrete goals in every group of the company. And we have the historical performance we have seen in our more mature cohorts as proof points. We remain firmly on the path to achieving our mission of changing the way people buy cars and of becoming the largest most profitable automotive retailer. The march continues. Mark.
3: Thank you, Ernie, and thank you all for joining us today. We made significant progress in Q2 on many fronts. We closed our acquisition of Edessa. We set clear operating priorities focused on reducing SG&A expense and driving toward positive free cash flow. And we made significant sequential progress on our key metrics, despite facing continued macro-related pressures and working through internal constraints. In Q2, retail units sold totaled 117,564, an increase of 9%. We gained significant market share in Q2, despite the impact of high used vehicle prices, rising interest rates, and other economy-wide factors on our industry. Total revenue in Q two was three point eight eight four billion, an increase of sixteen percent. Total revenue included one hundred eight million from our acquisition of Odessa's wholesale marketplace, which closed on may 9. Total gross profit per unit in Q two was thirty three sixty eight, a decrease of seventeen fifty two year over year, and an increase of five hundred thirty five dollars sequentially. Due to the dynamic nature of the current environment, we will focus our more detailed commentary on sequential changes. Retail GPU was $1,131 in Q2 compared to $808 in Q1, a sequential increase of $323. Retail gross profit included a $51 per unit impact from Ernie's 1 million unit milestone gift to Carvana employees and a $34 per unit impact from our May reduction in force. Excluding these impacts, retail GPU in Q2 was 1216 compared to 884 in Q1. Sequential changes in retail GPU were primarily driven by higher spreads between retail sales prices and acquisition prices. Retail reconditioning and inbound transport costs were similar in Q2 and Q1 as we primarily sold vehicles in Q2 that were reconditioned prior to our cost efficiency initiatives. Wholesale GPU was $383 in Q2, compared to $219 in Q1, a sequential increase of $164. Sequential changes in wholesale GPU were primarily driven by a $43 impact from the Odessa wholesale marketplace, net of $128 of depreciation and amortization expense, as well as increased spreads between wholesale sales prices and acquisition prices. Other GPU was 1854 in Q2 compared to 1806 in Q1. Sequential changes in other GPU were primarily driven by higher customer rates relative to benchmark interest rates, partially offset by wider credit spreads and a change in loan sales channel mix. Looking toward Q3, we expect to sell loans in the whole loan sales format, but will maintain flexibility to optimize our channel mix as the quarter progresses. We made significant progress reducing SG&A per retail unit sold in Q2, with SG&A per unit excluding depreciation and amortization, share-based compensation, and adesa declining by $942 compared to Q1. We expect to make continued progress on reducing SG&A expense in the coming quarters as we continue to focus on operating efficiency across all areas of the business. Adjusted EBITDA margin in Q2 was minus 6.2% compared to minus 10.2% in Q1, an improvement of four percentage points. Adjusted EBITDA excludes impacts from Ernie's gift of personal stock to Carvana employees as well as other income and expense, which primarily includes changes in the fair value of securities, but it includes non-gift share-based compensation and expenses related to our May reduction in force. Adjusted EBITDA also included a minus $2 million impact from the acquisition of ADESA, inclusive of $3 million of one-time expenses and the reallocation of $2 million of gross profit generated from Carvana business that was internalized following the acquisition. Following quarter end, we began implementing changes that we expect to positively impact EBITDA contribution from ADESA by approximately $7 million per quarter by later this year. As a result of the way the teams have come together, all we have continued to learn about the Odessa business, the rapid progress we are making in integration and the long-term opportunity that exists between our two companies, we are as excited as ever about our acquisition of Odessa. On June 30th, we had approximately $4.7 billion in total liquidity resources, including $2.7 billion in cash and revolving availability and $2.1 billion of unpledged real estate and other assets, including approximately $1 billion of real estate acquired with Odessa. We also ended the quarter with approximately 1.2 million annual units of inspection and reconditioning center capacity at full utilization, giving us substantial infrastructure for future growth. This strong liquidity position, our significant production capacity runway, and our clear and focused operating plan, positions us well on our path to achieve our goal of driving positive cash flow and becoming the largest and most profitable auto retailer. Thank you for your attention. We'll now take questions.
0: We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star, then 1 on your touchtone phone. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. If at any time your question has been addressed and you would like to withdraw your question, please press star, Then two again please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up you may always return to the queue at this time we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster our first question comes from zach fatum of wells fargo please go ahead
4: hey good afternoon Um, ernie at the current level of eight to nine thousand cars per week Should we view this as a fair characterization of of demand for your business today or or more so a level that you're intentionally managing to as you shift the focus to profitability? And assuming it's the latter, can you talk about the level that units need to re-step up to in order to achieve the stretch SG&A per unit goal in Q4?
3: Sure.
2: So let's start with where units are. I, mean, I, I think uh, in the second quarter we grew units by nine percent at a time when the market was was probably shrinking by around fifteen percent, give or take. So when you look at that, I think we we did continue to take market share. Uh, it's certainly at a slower rate than we historically have, but. But still at a pretty fast rate um, uh, when you kind of really stop and, and take in. Um, so I think that that's you know something to be to be you know happy with um, you know, in light of the circumstances. We have obviously changed uh, our focus quite a bit, and, and you know, that has real impacts. When we think about year-over-year growth rates, you know a year ago everyone across every group inside Carvana had their number one priority, you know just driving growth. Uh, today, their number one priority is driving efficiency, um, and, and that has all kinds of impacts. You know, we talked about the logistics network, uh, for example, in the shareholder letter that gives some examples, but there are examples like that um, everywhere else. And so I think there's there's certainly some impacts that are happening uh, when you think about it from a year-over-year year basis. I think when you look at it sequentially, I think there's some impacts there as well uh, that take the same form in terms of the shift of focus. You know, we... We decreased our marketing budget by about 15% quarter over quarter. Um, you know, that was certainly from elevated levels in Q1 that we're not interested in sustaining. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's a 15% reduction in, in marketing spend, you know, quarter over quarter, that's that's gonna have something of an impact all else constant. Uh, we've also been purposeful about managing our inventory down. Um, so from peaks and more recent, we probably have around 20% fewer cars that are visible for our customers uh, today than we had recently. Um, again, all else constant, that would put a bit of a headwind on growth. So I think, you know, we're making the choice today that we think enable us to drive efficiency as quickly as we possibly can, and we think that's the right thing to do for the business, and we're making a lot of progress as a result, and and that's, uh, that's the way that we're prioritizing things. I think when we think about kind of what the opportunity is long-term, I think, you know, honestly, it's the exact same way we would have thought about it six months ago or 12 months ago. I don't think there's really anything different. You know, we have years and years of history across hundreds of markets of continually gaining market penetration. And I think extrapolating off, that's not super hard. And then even in this environment with a focus change, we continue to take market share. So I think from a long-term perspective, we don't really look at it differently. And I think, you know, we're certainly um, you reducing the speed at which we're growing today, given the shift in focus. Uh, but our hope and belief is that by getting more efficient, it makes it easier to grow faster in the future because you have kind of less work to do per sale. And so, you know, we'll hope to get that back um, over time at some point. I think when we look to our goals, you know, we there's kind of two ways that we can make uh, progress toward, you know, 4,000 cash SG&A um, ex I think, you know, one is just general progress in the business and driving more efficiency. And, and one is certainly getting more units, um, you know, so we can uh, you know, kind of, you know, have more units to, to have our, our fixed cost flow over. Uh, and I think both are, are very powerful. Um, the first is probably sufficient to get to that goal. It's probably insufficient to get to that goal in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, without growth, you, you'd probably expect that to, to push out further in time. Uh, we don't want to, I think, specifically give um, thoughts on exactly what we expect growth to be as, as we head through uh, the next couple quarters. But but I think our expectation of, of, of you know, stretching to get that $4,000 goal, it does have uh, gains in both areas, but the, the primary focus is efficiency throughout the business.
4: Got it. That all makes sense. And in terms of your SG&A run rate in, in dollars, it looks like the primary step down sequentially was – was pretty much all advertising, and, and as you look to Q3 and Q4, can you walk through how how the reduction in force impacts the comp and benefits line, and maybe pinpoint specifically how the SG&A dollar decline should should trend from here, and then what the synergies from Odessa, um, you know, for the for the logistics or, or market occupancy lines, how those flow in as well.
3: Sure. So, um, I'll hit that one. So, I I think our, uh, you know, just as a starting point, we did um, see pretty meaningful um, SG&A dollar savings in Q2 uh, relative to Q1. I do think those came across multiple buckets, including, um, you know, I I think, uh, you know, total payroll uh, declined by, you know, on the order of $20 million. Um, Advertising came down by, you know, on on the order of um, $25 million, slightly less. Um, you know, other SG&A also declined, so we, we did see, you know, declines across multiple buckets looking from Q1 to Q2, um, and I think, you know, that's due to all the things that we've talked about around, you know, looking to, um, you know, drive efficiencies. Certainly the reduction in force um, impacted the payroll number, um, and so, uh, but I do think we're seeing uh, gains across multiple areas of the business. You know, one number uh, that stepped up from an sg spend perspective um, was logistics in Q2 relative to Q1. I think a big portion of that step up was related to um, uh, third-party um, transport services uh, that we used in Q2 uh, to work to, to clear certain backlogs out of um, uh, out of the logistics network in, in areas that were particularly constrained um, and so you know that 's something that 's an expense that we bore in q two um, but don 't expect to bear to nearly the same degree um, in q three um so that 's uh, one particular example you know as we 're looking out over the the rest of the year, we really do see opportunities. Um, across all areas of the business to continue to uh, drive SG&A efficiency, and so you know we will be looking, um, we will be looking to do that across the business. Um, some of the bigger buckets, I do think, you know, continuing to uh, match staffing levels to volume, uh, I think you know would be one of the bigger ones there. Uh, but we do see many opportunities. Overall, I would say, you know obviously we're we're very pleased with our progress on SGNA per unit in Q two, um, bringing it down by on the order of a thousand dollars quarter over quarter. Um we're excited about the progress that we we hope to make from here.
0: The next question comes from Sharon Zaxia of William Blair. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. A question on um, reconditioning and inbound transport. I know it was kind of similar and the second quarter, the first quarter, and there's obviously a timing lag here. But, you know, given the work you've done, where is that running now um, in terms of improvement, I'm assuming, on cars reconditioned today and and transported today is no longer a $600 Delta? And then secondarily, I, I just wanted to, as you've shifted focus as a company to cost, how have you changed, like, the incentive structure within the organization?
2: Sure. I'll try to take those and then feel free to feel free to jump in if you'd like, uh, Mark. So uh, I, I think first with with, uh, with with kind of, you know, college expenses, I, you know, we really started to make a lot of these changes in the middle of May. Um, and, and so, you know, that's obviously going to take some time to then flow all the way through to sales, which is when we'll see that, um, in, in retail GPU. Uh, we're making a lot of progress, um, in those underlying expenses, just like we are, um, in SG&A, and, and, you know, so those, those will show up over time. Uh, we expect to continue to make progress there. Um, and, and then, you know, the SG&A kind of flows through immediately as you get the progress, whereas the COGS benefit, uh, you, you make the progress, and then you have kind of the time lag until you sell the car, and then it flows through. So there, there's kind of is a delay there. Um, and, and again, you know those those kind of uh, cost reductions really just started over the last month and a half. Um, in terms of focus inside the the organization and and kind of incentive structure, I would you know, say in many ways it's it's similar. It's just the projects that we're kind of pulling off the wall are different, and they're they're cost focused um, instead of being growth focused. Uh, I think we have implemented a number of of different processes that we're finding really efficient um, inside the company. You know, not to dive into too much detail, but but you know, across every group in the company, we've got very clear projects. We're doing, I think, a better job than we have in the past, narrowing our focus on those that are most likely to make the biggest impact the fastest. Um, you know, we've got every group meeting together on on Monday and reporting the progress against expectations every single week. You know, on Tuesday, we're we're getting all of our operational groups together and we go through uh, how each group is performing relative to other groups internally, so we make sure that we can take full advantage of internal benchmarking. Uh, and then, obviously, a lot of work is happening the rest of the week as well. Uh, and so I think, you know, really it's, it's more about, uh, the projects that we're pulling off the board. We've always had a lot of areas, uh, that we wanted to work on. It was just a question of what we prioritized. Um, and so I think our priorities have changed, but I think we've also implemented some processes that, um, have driven additional focus, um, and attention and accountability and speed. Uh, and I really do think the results of that so far have, have been pretty great. Um, yeah, I, I think just, you know, it's hard to put this in a model, but but we have a, a project that we rolled out, for example, the last couple of days, um, and, and just, you know, kind of sitting in the room with the team as that was rolled out, and there were, you know, people across many different offices on a Zoom call with 50 people going back and forth talking about the statistics in real time of how this uh, new product was working. Uh, it, it, was, it was really cool to see, and, and you could see on everyone's faces there was just a lot of pride in what they had built and that they had built it fast and rolled it out quickly. Um, and like I said, that's a hard thing to put in a model, but it's probably the most valuable thing over time because that just compounds uh, over and over again. And I do think that, uh, you know, as we've gone through this change of focus, the people inside Carvana have done an unbelievable job embracing that, getting excited about it, and, and then pushing very hard. And, and I think that the enthusiasm and speed with which we're getting things done is, is something that I'm extremely uh, excited about and grateful to the team
5: for.
0: The next question comes from Michael Montani of Evercore ISI. Please go ahead.
5: Hey, um, thanks for taking the question. Uh, So first I was just hoping if you could give some incremental color around the consumer in terms of maybe what you're seeing in demand trends for high income versus lower income, and then also if there's any um, impact in terms of credit availability uh, and or, you know, um, ASPs of the vehicles that you're selling, if there's kind of a noteworthy divergence in trend there for high versus low price tag units.
2: Sure. I don't know if we have anything too interesting to share here, uh versus what we've shared in the past or, or what you might expect. But I, I think in general the, the trends are as you'd expect. I I think you know we're seeing um, you know, higher incomes in general um, kind of you know, fare a little bit better in this environment. Higher FICO's in general um, fare a little bit better in this environment. Um, all is constant. That's, you know, leading to higher purchase prices. It's leading to uh, you know, differences in uh, you know, mix and attach rates for for finance and, and products uh, like that. So, I, I mean, I think the impacts that, that we're seeing are, are probably those that you'd expect. I, I think you know, from a credit perspective across you know, automotive, I think in general if you know, most finance companies continue to see pretty strong performance. I think there's, uh, you know, been a, a slow drift back to more normalized 2019 levels off of kind of what was absolutely exceptional performance um, in, in 2020 and 2021. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything too notable happening there uh, just yet. Um, And so, yeah, I I think, you know, the only other notable thing is this is a a large ticket purchase. Um, It's a purchase that is financed. It's discretionary. I think um, historically it has oftentimes been a purchase that leads the economy. Um, And then it also kind of uniquely in this environment, um, you know, it's, driven by kind of the, the complexity of, of OEM's global supply chains. You know, this is probably one of the products that has inflated the most in terms of price relative to all other products in the economy. And so it's probably an area that, that has felt, you know, relatively more stressed so far, uh, you know, broadly. Um, you know, that's that's not great, you know, when you're looking at it uh, in hindsight, but I think when you look at it, you know, fr- from a forward lens, it's, it's debatably uh, good news because, you know, it's, it's hard to say exactly what's gonna come from the economy here, but, if we start from a place of believing that that the the kind of auto industry has already taken a deeper stress than the rest of the economy, uh, I, I think it means kind of any additional stressors from here in expectation should probably be less, and any uh, recovery from here in expectation should probably be more. So I, I think you know, we'll see how that all unfolds over time. Uh, we're certainly in a in a unique time where it's it's obviously impacting customers in lots of ways. But as I said, I don't think that it's anything unexpected for our customer uh, versus other customers out there.
5: And then just in terms of pricing, just curious if you all have a view that we may see uh, flat or even decreasing uh, retail pricing from here. And if we do see retail prices decrease into the back half of the year, does that make it harder to reach the GPU goals that you've set out, or have you already kind of planned for that?
2: So I, I think that's hard to say, but I, I, I do think. Let me give you first just a, a fact. I, I think we have seen uh, depreciation kind of return to the market um, so far this year. So so that is something that that is occurring. Uh, next is is something of a mental model. It's not totally dissimilar from what we just discussed. But I think you know, given that car prices have inflated more than other um, you know goods and services, it, it is probably likely that on average they will depreciate faster uh, in the future to kind of you know get back into alignment with uh their relationship with other goods and services. So I think that's a reasonable expectation. I think you know whether or not that has an impact on um, on you know retail GPU is a little bit less clear than you might think because it's largely a function of what are dealer expectations. You know historically when there's more depreciation you see a bigger spread between wholesale prices and retail prices because uh you know dealers are in effect kind of you know building in the expected depreciation into the price they pay for a car at the wholesale market. Um, to the extent that occurs, you could see decreasing prices without, uh, you know, noticeably decreasing retail GPUs. Uh, to the extent that depreciation is unexpected, I think, you know, you, you could see decreasing GPUs as you go through that period. Uh, on average, you have seen kind of the former. You, you've seen basically, you know, flattish, uh, you know, retail GPUs as car price have decreased. And I do think that in the early depreciation we've seen so far, uh, there's evidence that that relationship remains. Uh, e- even in our results uh, you know, from this quarter, you can see that we began to see higher spreads uh, between uh, the price that we paid for cars and the price we were able to receive for cars. And so I do think there's some evidence of, of that spread widening again. Uh, obviously, that's, you know, we don't know exactly that will play out, but that's how it's historically played out. And, and there is some evidence that's playing out that way now as well.
0: The next question is from Chris Battiglieri of Exane BNP Paribas. Please go ahead.
6: All right. Hey guys, I think you got to beat me to my first question a little bit, there, a little bit there. But um, can you give us a sense? Like, obviously, the $600 didn't flow through from the logistics and and uh, reconditioning, but you did see, like, frankly, pretty good improvement sequentially in a retail GPU. Um, and you seemed to, to highlight uh, market improvements there. Is that all just kind of would you cited a second ago on on kind of movements in wholesale pricing or were there other factors that led you to kind of expand that retail g p u four hundred dollars sequentially
3: sure so i'll I'll take that one I think we were very pleased um with our retail gpu um, progress in the quarter frankly, i think uh, it was a nice step up you know, once adjusting for um, our reduction in forest earnings gift, you know, 1216 in the quarter, uh, meaningful step up from Q1. Um, And so I I think we feel really good about that number in light of the fact that we still have, you know, I think that number includes very elevated um, reconditioning and inbound transport costs. And so I think we, you know, we view that as a real positive. I think what were some of the sequential drivers? So one simple one is um, about $100 of the sequential gain Um, You know, we had lost about $100 of shipping revenue per unit in Q1 due to refunds uh, driven by significant logistics network delays. Uh, We basically got that back in the second quarter. Um, So that was part of the sequential bridge. Um, A a second part of the sequential bridge is, um, you know, Q4 um, 2021 was – a really um, a really high price time to be uh, purchasing cars uh and so as we moved away from Q4 21 um, i think you know that had a a positive impact on retail gpu where you know in q in q1 we were just selling more cars that were purchased in q4 uh than we sold um, in q2 and you know q4 was a, a very high t- price time to be purchasing so that that was a, a favorable uh impact going from q1 to q2 as well and so I think those are the big the big impacts. Um, you know, I think uh, yeah, I, I think those were uh, those were the primary impacts. Um, yeah, in 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 Q2, I, and I think leaves us feeling in a pretty strong position uh, in light of the opportunities that we still see uh, on the cost side of GPU.
6: Gotcha, that's really helpful. And then just a related question, uh, unrelated question. Um, if I look at the Odessa financials, like best I can tell, it looks like I take kind of like the 7 million improvement and kind of like double the quarter to date. Adessa financials, it seems like you're probably running 13 million a quarter on Adessa profitability, which I mean, a tad below the 100 million you were targeting. And I know volumes decline sequentially, but so I guess my question is with that long preamble is like, is this a good run rate for profitability until volumes improve, or is there other reasons to be more positive on kind of profitability ramping Adessa near term?
2: Sure. So I, I think you know we try to provide some guidance in our uh, in our in our deck, our, our operating plan deck, um, of kind of around 100 million as being a, a good kind of ballpark estimate um, for where Odessa would be. I think you know we're we're clearly at a, a, a trough um, for, uh, for for kind of the auction business today. It, it's or I don't want to say necessarily precisely the trough. We're at a low point relative to recent history um, for the auction business. Uh before a death in twenty nineteen they were at approximately one point eight million units uh you know per year, which which is obviously a, a very large number. They're on the order of a million um, shy of that today. I think you know there's plenty of room uh, for the business to to continue to improve from here. I think a, a reasonable way to think about um, how it might improve from here is is to kind of look back to 2008 and what occurred back then. Uh, in 2008, you know the the units dropped by actually a lesser amount because it wasn't really kind of a perfect storm for auctions like the last couple of years has been. Uh, and then it took about five years for all the volume to come back as the OEMs uh, you know got their production back up after bankruptcy and everything else. Um, you know, I think the fundamentals were. not as severe. Um, The technicals were more severe um, in the auction business um, kind of this time around. And so I think there's potential that the recovery could be faster, but I think it's hard to know exactly how quickly that'll occur. I think a good heuristic for thinking about um, what flow-through looks like in that business is probably something on the order of $250 of of kind of incremental EBITDA per per unit is probably a, a reasonable way to think about it. Uh, and so I think when we look forward, you know, we we don't quite know if we're exactly at the at the trough for uh, for auctions, but I think there's lots of reasons to be um, somewhat optimistic. You know, there's there's some indications that OEMs are starting to increase their production uh you know car prices uh, are starting to to dip a little bit which makes it a little bit less likely that any given uh franchise dealer is going to keep every kind of off lease car like they have been um you know OEMs are starting to sell more cars to rental car companies um which rental car companies are normally big sellers um, yeah, I, I think there's there's room for finance companies to start selling more cars as well. So I don't think we know exactly how that'll play out, but but I think you know over time there's certainly room for volume to continue to come back. And and has built a great business with a lot of great customers, uh, so they're well positioned uh, when it does. And, and so I think there's room for it to certainly move you know materially beyond um, kind of you know what our kind of medium-term average expectation um, of of 100 million that we put in that deck is. So we still think that kind of on average that's probably a reasonable way to Uh, to think about what the earnings power of the business is and then obviously there's a ton of things that we're extremely excited about in terms of the way that we're working together. You know our integration really is going very well. I know I said it in my uh prepared remarks, but you know we closed that transaction two and a half months ago and we have cars on the ground in forty six locations. Uh you know we have people that are actively working, uh, you know, dropping off retail cars, picking up um, cars we're buying from customers out of eighteen locations. Those numbers are growing quickly. You know, we've already started to ramp up production in coastal locations. Uh you know there's a lot of cost savings there as well. When we you know, buy a car from a customer and we're able to drop it off at a nearby Odessa instead of running it through our logistics network, we can save pretty material dollars per transaction there, um, and it also dramatically simplifies our logistics network. There's a ton of gains there. You know, I talked about some benefits we've had with some partners where we've been able to do things that we couldn't have otherwise done. So I, I do think that just the deeper we get into the of transaction, the more excited we get. Um, you know, not just about the extremely exciting long-term opportunities around reconditioning and logistics, but also around the near-term opportunities of, of just ways that we can be more efficient together. Uh, and again, I, I do want to give the team credit there. You, know, you never know exactly how uh, integration is going to go. I think you know when you do an acquisition, then you kind of you know walk over to the other side when the deal closes, and you get to go meet all the people and 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 have your first couple conversations. You don't quite know what the reception is going to be. And I I really will say the Odessa team has just greeted us with with completely open arms. um, And and it has been really great. And I think the integration has gone a lot better than it might have otherwise uh, because of how open-minded they've been and and how much they've already been able to teach us. So we remain extremely excited about it. We think it's um, a a huge deal in the long term. And and we also think that there's very big gains that we can make in the near term as well. uh, But it's going to require work, and, and we're hard at it.
0: Next question comes from Adam Jonas of Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead.
5: Hey everybody, um, I just
1: had a question about working capital, uh, specifically inventory, which, of course, just declined very substantially, about 466 million. I believe that number includes the death in there. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so, is that a level that you feel is is kind of normal to finish the year with? Was it? Do you see it as kind of more? Correcting from what was the last couple quarters of just, you know, your, the, the issues between COVID and, and IRC bottlenecks and now you're at a normal level or, you know, is, is, that, or, or is there some kind of making up to do and you need to have like a flow out again in order to achieve the volume that you want? first
3: question. Sure. So I'll I'll, I'll take that one. So um, um, we did reduce inventory uh, meaningfully quarter over quarter. Um, As a note, um, that doesn't include any impacts from Odessa, who doesn't have uh, material inventory. So that's just related to Carvana. Um, I think the the main way to think about that is we talked a a bit about this on uh, the Q1 call, but, you know, we did meaningfully um, overbuild in various areas of the business um you know look, you know kind of moving into uh q1 of this year that included infrastructure that included staffing that also included inventory so you know we definitely have been um at an above normalized level of of inventory and so um we we've been sort of steadily uh marching it down like over the course of q2 and and also so far uh, in q3 i think we do expect to continue to um lower inventory balance, um, here in the third quarter, um, you know, just as we as sort of normalize the size of inventory, um, to, to get to our target level and sort of think of our target level as somewhere in the, the 2 billion to 2.5 billion dollar range. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think we'll continue. We were above that at the end of Q2. And so I do think we'll continue to, to lower that just to get uh, inventory size in line with, um, uh, in, in line with our targets, uh, you know, uh, you know, aligned with the rest of the business. So I think that's one point. Um, I do think we've got lots of opportunities to get more out of our inventory, Um, you know, as we move away from third-party reconditioning, um, you know, the the third-party reconditioning typically um, has much longer cycle times than first-party reconditioning, and so as we move away from third-party reconditioning, that'll have a positive impact on, uh, you know, recon cycle time. Uh, Many of our cost initiatives are also speed initiatives um, that, you know, have the, um, uh, the goals of uh, speeding up the you know, number of days between when we acquire a car and get it to the IRC, speeding up the number of days between when we um, start, you know, inspect the car and get it fully reconditioned. Um, and so we do think we've got a number of level, levels to get more out of our inventory uh, as it normalizes.
1: Uh, that's very clear. Um, just a follow-up then, uh, housekeeping. How many cars did you have in inventory at the end of 2Q in terms of units, and, and how that compare to 1Q?
3: Thanks Sure so the um, so we, we don't report that number specifically, um, but we did see a unit decline um, in inventory as well that was you know think of it as approximately in line with the balance decline.
0: The next question comes from Nick Jones with JMP securities. Please go ahead.
6: Hi. Thanks for uh, taking the questions. I guess uh, two, if I could. Um, on the time buffers in certain states related to uh, title and registrations, um, is that a structural hurdle that's going to persist? Can you drive more efficiency there and kind of get rid of that over time? And h- how do you expect that to impact, um, I guess, conversion in those states? And then the second question, you know, there was a bullet about not passing through the cost of fund increases. Um, how should we think about, I guess, you know, when you might start passing those through? Thanks.
2: Sure, uh, those are two big questions that lend themselves to long answers, so we'll try to, uh, try to be as concise as we can. Uh, so first, on the time buffers, I, I do think, you know, that's been associated with just ensuring that we're, uh, delivering the cleanest and fastest, uh, experience to our customers on the registration front that we possibly can. Uh, I'm gonna kind of, you know, jump into just an explanation on that, uh, as well for a moment, because I can imagine that's a, a question people on the call may have. Uh, you know we we've definitely uh, unfortunately gotten a lot of attention for uh, you know registration over the last maybe three to six months. Um, and I think you know unfortunately that that narrative is is you know probably both pretty exaggerated and then also uh, lagging uh, kind of lagging where reality is. so I, I think I want to talk a little bit about kind of the progress we've made there, so Today we probably have about kind of one third the rate of customers that are getting delayed plates that we had even a year ago. Uh that puts us at, at kind of the best levels we've ever been um, in our company history. Uh and you know, while it's unfortunately kind of hard to get really clear data around how other dealers perform um, in title registration, that is an imperfect process uh, you know, across the entire industry. Um, unfortunately, I think over time it's something that many states want to improve, but but it is a, a complicated process. And so we do our best to try to pull down uh, what data we can to look at you know various parts of the of the flow, whether it's uh, you know title processes or or registration processes. Uh, and it is the case that in in the majority of states, you know we are we're performing better than the majority of dealers. Uh, and so I think that's something that that we're generally you know pretty proud of. We think we're especially proud of that in light of the fact that you know, in order to give our customers a seven-day return policy and a nationwide uh, inventory, we oftentimes take on more complicated underlying registration tasks. And when you control for the complexity of that, um, you know, we're sort of you know, better again uh, than most dealers out there. So I, I think, you know, again, the, the team has done a great job. I think the, the way that we're executing today uh, is better than we've ever, ever executed in the past, um, and it's a level that we're proud of, but um, but certainly not satisfied with. We're going to continue to push, and we've got. Um, A lot of improvements in process, a lot of additional improvements in product um, that we're rolling out to make sure that we're getting all the paperwork that we need to from customers, that it's clear to customers uh, what to upload and and what to have ready at the the time of, of delivery, et cetera uh and so we're working on all those processes and i think continually getting better um all the time we're also working to improve the system we're working with several states as partners uh, we view the states as partners and many states uh, view us as partners as well um you know many of these states have registration modernization initiatives underway um and so you know we proactively work with them on those uh, we've been part of legislative change in a number of states uh we, we've seen policy changes in a number of other states as a result of our uh, involvement. And, and so I do think this is something that's actually continually um, improving, uh, and I, I do think it's something where we, we do expect those buffers uh, to go away over time. Um, so so we think you know it, it's it's hard to predict exactly when we'll be pulling those back, but the expectation is absolutely that we will pull those back uh, over time. Uh, and then you know, certainly that does impact sales conversion. there's There's no question that faster delivery times uh, impact sales conversion. And when we add these time buffers, uh the, the form it takes to a customer is just they see a longer delivery time and so that does impact uh conversion and, and you know, we expect to continue to make progress there um over time. Uh on the interest rate changes, what I would say is uh, you know, we have passed through some interest rate changes over the last uh, you know many months. Um if we go back to when interest rates started to to increase in, in the back half of last year. Um but in general when interest rates start to increase, uh you know, we tend to see finance companies, uh, ourselves included, pass through those increases in benchmarks or risk spreads uh, a little more slowly than they show up. And I think that's where kind of you know, the, the term interest rates are sticky comes from. Uh, and so, you know, the, the sum of interest rates, uh, interest rate increases, both benchmarks and, and risk spreads has not yet, uh, been passed all the way to consumers. I think it, it's hard to, to say exactly what will be the smart, uh, you know, rate for, for that to, to be passed through over time. In many ways, it's a function of what other finance companies are doing. Uh, you know, we obviously don't have perfect data on what other finance companies are doing, but we do have pretty, um good data there. And so, you know, when, when we kind of monitor many different kind of larger banks and financial institutions, We've seen um, a lot of those institutions start to raise interest rates uh, really starting in, in March and April, kind of a couple months after we did. Um, and we tend to see them, you know, over the last several months raising interest rates by, you know, something between 25 and 50 base points, give or take, um, a month, which actually, you know, can make a pretty big difference pretty fast. So we don't know exactly how other finance companies are going to react, you know, we'll continue to, to monitor uh, elasticities and try to make smart decisions about how we're handling um, interest rates on our side, but, but certainly we've seen an increase in benchmarks and spreads that has not been passed all the way through. And then we try to provide some math uh, to make it straightforward for uh, for investors to understand, you know, what the impact of that is, uh, holding all else constant. And, and we're obviously, you know, hopeful that over time that that comes back.
0: The next question is from Seth Basham of Wedbush Securities. Please go ahead.
7: Thanks a lot, and good evening, and thanks uh, for all the great information. I have a follow-up question after the last question that was asked. First, as it relates to the titling registration challenges, are there any states where you are not able to currently sell vehicles because of those challenges? And then, secondly, uh, are there any issues currently with uh, selling vehicles that don't
2: have clean titles? Sure. So there, there are no states where we're not able to sell vehicles today, um, and and none, no issues with the uh, the clean title uh, issue as well. Uh, I, I do think you know over time these things can can periodically pop up. You know, we recently had Illinois pop up. Um, you know, we're we were excited to have um, a, a judge kind of you know give us time to make sure that we were able to to work with uh, the state make sure that we could resolve uh, you know some of the. Uh, maybe miscommunication disagreements that that we've had, um so we look forward to working with them we We kind of you know share the same goals that they've got you know the the regulators uh um, in all these states just want to make sure the customers get the best registration process they possibly can, and that's the goal that we share, so we look forward to working with them and our, our hope is that we can partner with them in the same way that we've partnered with many other regulators in many other states um I, you know I also say that you know as as part of that something that you know, sometimes good things can come out of a, a more difficult situation, but something that's great that came out of Illinois is, you know, when we were shut down for a period of time there, um, as we were kind of, you know, working to, to resolve some of these misunderstandings with the state, uh you know, we did reach out to customers and ask for, for support. And in 48 hours, we had 6,000 customers, um, you know, sign a petition of support. We had thousands of comments uh, that came in supporting Carvana. You know, since then, we've had thousands more come in as well. Uh, and so I think you know that was a, a powerful uh, you know kind of you know, message from our customers that that certainly customers uh, across the country and, and and in the state of Illinois and all other states as well are are really you know loving the Carvan experience and. Those are people that are intimately familiar with our process that kind of instantly came to our aid there, uh, which I think was a great sign. And so I think periodically over time, there's, there's certainly risks that, that, we'll run into these, uh, you know, with, with a state here or there. But, uh, in general, we've, we've got a great relationship across, uh, states and we view the states as partners. And our goal is to make sure that we continue to evolve all those relationships so that, uh, we can view all the states as partners and they can view us the same way.
7: Great. And as a follow-up on the financing business, uh, you can, can you talk about the channel mix shift for selling your finance receivables in the second quarter? Uh, how much should you sell to Ally? What's the remaining uh, availability with that agreement? And then um, your decision to potentially sell whole loans uh, in the third quarter, what's driving that?
2: Sure. So so what I would say is I think, you know, whatever we thought about um, – you know where we're going to sell our receivables we're trying to balance maximizing proceeds and uh, minimizing kind of cross time volatility I think that's that's always been our goal that's been the reason we've set set up uh, kind of a, a platform that enables us to, to move in both directions uh, and obviously you know there's there's been a lot of a lot more noise I think across financial markets um, over the last many months than than there are has been in quite some time. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, and a form that basically takes is, is that increases volatility, um, in, in a process like a securitization. And so what we elected to do is kind of in this environment, I think we're kind of leaning more in the direction of reduced volatility than we are in the direction of maximized proceeds. And we elected to, uh, you know, work with Ally to, to, to purchase more of our loans. Uh, which is something that we you know, did in COVID as well with, with very similar motivations. Um, and I think that that's a relationship that, that we feel has worked out great for us and, and that we, we hope and believe that they, they believe has worked out great for them as well. Uh, so I think that's the way that we generally think about it. Uh, you know, we make sure that we always have access to all the different channels, and we're monitoring what we, what our expectations would be in each channel, again, in, in both of those dimensions, both the expectation and um, kind of volatility around that expectation. I think as we head through the rest of the year, it's it's hard to know exactly – um, you know, where things are going to go, uh, it is a pretty dynamic kind of macroeconomic backdrop and, and these markets can be sensitive to, um, you, you know, the way the data flows in across that backdrop. I think several weeks ago the ABS markets uh, were in rougher shape. I think the last couple of weeks have actually been very good um, in the ABS market. So we'll continue to monitor those markets um, and try to make the best decisions that we possibly can. Uh, but our baseline expectation today uh, is to continue to lean more in the direction uh, of pooled loan sales, uh, but again, we, we want to ensure that we, we have flexibility uh, to, to exercise um, you know, whatever freedom we think is the right choice to make uh, as we move through the rest of the year.
3: And then on the, uh, the question about capacity, so uh, our agreement with Ally was most recently upsized in March and has $3.2 billion of capacity remaining.
0: The next question comes from Rajat Gupta with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead.
5: Oh, great. Uh, th- thanks for taking the questions and uh, for all the color provided on the call so far. Uh, I just had a follow up on one of the earlier questions on SG&A. Um, so, what happens when you get to the four thousand dollar target? Um, you know, one of the one of the questions we get a lot in trying to address is, you know, once you get to that four thousand and you continue to reduce that even further, you know, how should we think about growth, uh, you know, particularly in the context of you know some reduced ad spending recently, you know some of the other growth initiatives that you've had that you're, you know, tempering recently, you know, what kind of like, what's the growth algorithm um, for the company once you get to that lower SGA level? And I have a follow up.
2: Sure. So I, I think the short answer on you know what do we do when we get to four thousand dollars is we keep going. Uh, I, I think is is kind of the plan. Um, so you know first let's let's talk about the walk from from where we are to four thousand uh, know, dollars. That's a level that we've hit many times before in the company's history, and so I, I don't think in our minds at least there's a big question about whether or not we can get to four thousand dollars. I think the question is. How quickly can we responsibly get to four thousand dollars? You know we do have hundreds of locations and many functions across those locations, so there's you know many hundreds of groups that that we have to manage uh, across the business uh, and we have to make sure that that you know we're we're managing our expenses down at a rate that is both fast because we want to get it down as quickly as we can, but also that doesn't derail uh, you know these different uh, groups and different you know locations and different functional areas uh, because that's costly as well. and so I think you know, the, the goal, the stretch goal of, of 4,000, uh, at the end of this year is, is basically, uh, more a function of the pace at which we think we can responsibly get there, uh, than a question about whether or not, uh, you know, we believe that we can get there. I think as we look from 4,000, uh, you know, down to kind of the midterm goal of 3,000 and beyond that to our long-term model, I think it's just about driving additional efficiencies, uh, you know, we, we have many ways to, to look at where those efficiencies, um are. I, I think, probably the easiest um, is to just look at our cohorts. We've provided some data in the past about, um, you know, what our SG&A expenses are in some of our more mature cohorts. And so I think that, you know, provides visibility into what we've been able to do. Um, and we were able to do that before we we really put focus on, um, you know, prioritizing processes and and uh, products that make us more efficient. Um, so, you know, as we kind of move through this period where we've prioritized uh, those, you know, process improvements and product enhancements, um, we think that we're positioning ourselves you know better to to outperform that than ever before. We think across every group inside you know the company we now have concrete goals uh that build up to to our midterm goal of of three thousand dollars uh per unit. I, I think you know we've always had bottoms-up models to, to inform um, you know our, our long-term financial model. Um but but now that's converting into actual kind of products and, and projects that we have across all these different teams. Um, to get us there, and then in terms of what it means for growth, I, I think you know the biggest impacts to growth are, are probably based on the, the kind of shift in focus and just a question of which projects we prioritize and and where we put our effort across the business. And so um, I, I think you know as we get to lower and lower um, SG&A levels, I, I think the impacts there to growth, in our expectation at least, are probably positive. And again, I think the simplest way to think about that, or at least the way that we think about that. Is that the amount of work it takes to increase, uh, you know, sales by any given amount is in many ways kind of proportionate to your your expenses per unit because they kind of represent the work that's being done inside the company to sell a unit. And as we drive those expenses down, it means there's less work to do per unit, and it means with the same amount of work we can grow units by more. Uh, so I think you know we're excited about what kind of you know these efficiency uh, goals are going to mean for our growth in kind of the medium term. Uh, but, but I think, as I said, you know, we're we're really focused on, on gaining efficiency today, uh, and I think we're making a lot of progress. We undoubtedly have a lot more progress to make, uh, and, and the team recognizes that and, and you know, is extremely focused. Um, but but we're on a very good path, and, and we're excited about it.
5: Got it. Uh, and maybe just to follow up on the scna you know, within the comp and benefits line, is there a way, you know, that you can help dissect for us? You know what, what the corporate employee costs are versus you know some of the more person, uh, personnel-related expenses um, in terms of employees who are involved in you know the actual buy sell you know financing part of the transaction. Uh, you know any metric you can share around efficiency there. You know you know transaction time per sale or you know employee hours per sale or or something of that sort. Uh, and uh, where are we today and and where where do you expect to you know get to you know as you get to your, you know, 4,000 or, you know, the 37, 3,500
3: target next year. you. Sure. I can, hit, I can hit that one in a, in a couple different ways. So, you know, I, I do think we've, um, I think, you know, on uh, comp, for example, you can see um, what we've achieved in the past uh, is on sort of compensation and benefits for retail units sold. I think I, I think that's a useful benchmark for where it can go. I think, you know, we've laid out midterm goals um, that are available on the, uh, you know investor relations website that um, also give a sense of uh where it can go um you know you know you know be, be sort of beyond uh, what we've already achieved in the past i think um and so i think those are hopefully helpful helpful resources um for you uh, on that question i think you know in terms of what we're seeing from an efficiency perspective you know we're we're absolutely seeing um, efficiency gains throughout the business i think um our teams are working um you know every day on, on those uh, efficiency gains and I, I think we're seeing things you know like you know, hours per uh delivery uh is coming down. Um and and sort of that yeah you know, the, the uh customer care um you know phone time per sale is coming down. Uh those are a few examples. Um you know utilization in the logistics network is going up. There's and there are many, many more, that's just a few. Um but I do think we're seeing very positive trends in some of these efficiency metrics that we've been focused on over the last um you know, several weeks um, or, or slightly longer. And so I think some of those um, internal metrics um, that all of the teams are focused on, we're feeling really good about the way they're, those are
6: trending.
0: The next question comes from Colin Sebastian of Baird. Please go ahead.
6: Uh, Thanks. Uh, Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for squeezing me in. Um, I guess I was going to ask about sort of the whole process of of managing the process improvements, but I think that maybe uh, takes a little too long to answer here. Um, So instead, um, as follow-ups, I guess first off, um, what, in terms of not using the ABS market, is that factored into the GPU, or or what's the impact on other GPU uh, if you do not access the, the ABS market? And then, and then secondly, um, in terms of widening the scope of inventory to capture more value-priced cars, uh, you know, uh, if, if, that, if you are doing that, um, are you seeing more demand uh, through the mass market uh, part of the funnel? Um, is that something that you're marketing against, or does that sort of that traffic sort of naturally come to the website and the app? How does that work? Thank you.
3: Sure. So, um, I think on the first question, so, uh, you know, the way we've, we've always, um, thought about this is, you know, we have a two channel strategy for monetizing our loans. Um, you know, we use the securitization market, um, and then we, uh, sell, uh, loans through whole loan sales or, or a forward flow agreement. Um, and I think the way we think about that two channel strategy is that it balances economics and stability. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, typically in the securitization market, um, you know, you see um, better monetization, um, but the securitization market involves more variability. Um, and so the, you know, forward flow and whole whole loan sales, um, you know, typically have uh, lower monetization, um, but add a degree of stability. So that that's basically the way we thought about it. Um, you know, in, in terms of our uh, forward looking expectations, I think, you know, we plan around um, expectations Um, you know, for um, ABS um, or for, uh, for lower whole loan sales, as we laid out in Q3, you know, uh, our current expectation is uh, we'll be selling loans in a whole uh, loan sale format, um, but um, we'll continue to evaluate as the quarter progresses.
2: And then I I think there's certainly demand for lower price cars. I I think um, that's, that's definitely something that's true. There's, there's basically just a dearth of lower price cars, um, you know out there industry wide today it is also true that that um you know those that are seeking higher price cars are probably less impacted by the economy at least so far in in kind of the, the form that this thing has, has taken uh, so far so uh, uh, in terms of like demand across cars, it, it's um, I, I would say it's shifted to cheaper cars less than you might expect um, in light of kind of the desirability of, of those inexpensive cars, but then also um, kind of the, the relative strength of the higher um, income consumer, uh, w- which offsets that to a degree. Uh, but but I think you know we're continuing to, to push in that direction. We've got a number of initiatives to make sure that we're able to provide our customers with a diverse set of cars uh, that, that fit their needs um, across all different dimensions that matter, um, including price, uh, and working on different product enhancements to make it easier for customers to afford cars uh, in this difficult environment when when prices are high. Um, so I, I think that's an area that will continue to get focus from us, um, and it's an area where we've we've made progress so far and plan to make more progress going forward.
0: The last question will come from Brian Nagel of Oppenheimer. Please go ahead.
5: Hi, good afternoon. So I know we're time is running down here. So I'll, I'll ask one, one, I guess one question with two parts, but with regard to Edessa,
1: um, look, there's, there's a lot of, ch- there's been chatter out there about, you know, now that Carvana owns Edessa, maybe some historic customers or partners with Edessa would no longer want to do business with Edessa because they're now competitors to Carvana. So the question I have is, are you seeing that dynamic? If so, is that, factored into kind of the, the, the parameters you've given us for, you know, the Odessa business. And then secondly, you know, just as
3: we think about Odessa and, and, and its enhancement to the overall Carvana model,
1: you know, at
3: what point or how, how, at what point would there kind of be that breakout moment where we really start to see, you know, the true benefits Odessa bring bringing to Carvana?
2: Sure. I'm going to try to answer those concisely, because as you said, we are tight on time. Um, Let let me start with this. I I think for sure we we saw some some customers of Odessa initially react negatively to to the news, and and we do feel like we lost um, some volume as as a result of that um, immediately as the transaction was announced. Um, I do think since then the the news is actually pretty good, you know obviously we don't know how this will play out over time, but we've seen a number of of uh, those customers already come back we've seen some big commercial accounts um start to you know shift more business back to odessa uh and so i I think that you know so far at least it feels like the team at Odessa has done a good job, um you know weathering the turbulence uh, of that transaction, which obviously caused everyone to kind of stop and reevaluate for a moment but but it feels like uh we're we're in a pretty good spot, and then I do think you know, looking forward, it's hard to know how that's going to unfold. You know, again, you know, that was approximately a million units um, back of where it was in, in 2019. Um, so there's a lot of room uh, for volume increases from here, um, kind of, you know, regardless of, of the, the number of, of customers that come back. but But we'll be – We'll be, you know, fighting and, 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 you know, shooting to, to provide great experiences to, to all the historical customers of Odessa and, and, you know, trying to explain why we think that, you know, Odessa is still a great option for them. Um, and as I said, I think so far the, the, news there, um, is, is pretty good. I think in terms of when to see, when you should expect to see the benefits of Odessa, I, I think, you know, hopefully it's, um, you know, relatively quick. We're already seeing operationally some benefits today that are pretty material. Uh, and hopefully it's it's kind of you know continual over time and continually increasing and hopefully it's continually increasing for a long time. I, I think that uh, there are many areas to reduce cost, there are many areas to drive revenue, there are many areas to collaborate on solutions for our shared customers that uh, that, that kind of benefit from our shared capabilities. And then there's obviously a, a lot of room to. Uh, recondition more cars closer to our customers, and to enhance our logistics network to get cars to customers faster. Um, And I think unlocking all of that is a many, many many-year plan uh, that that we're excited about running at as quickly as we can, Uh, and we're excited to do it with the
4: team at Odessa.
0: This concludes our question-and-answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to management for any closing remarks.
2: Perfect. Alright. Well, thank you everyone for joining the call. Uh, to everyone inside, uh, Carvana and Odessa, uh, you know, thank you so much for everything that you guys have done. Uh, the last several months, uh, have, have been dynamic, I believe was the word that we used in the prepared remarks. Um, you all have, have, you know, felt that and seen that, and I think that you know, people always have to decide how they respond uh, to any kind of adversity. And I think the way that people inside Carvana have responded has been uh, unbelievable. I, I think we could not ask for more. We couldn't be prouder to be working side by side with you guys. Uh, the progress that we're making is exceptional. I hope you're proud of what you're doing. Uh, if we keep our heads down, we're going to continue to make a lot of progress really quickly. Uh, and that has has been awesome to see uh, and is exciting for the future. And then for the Odessa team, uh, we've done this a couple times now, but but I, I really do just feel extremely grateful um, that you have embraced us in the way that you have, um, and I think that, you know, hopefully we're both seeing the gains from that. Um, I think it's showing up in the results already, and, and we're excited about where we can go from here. So we look forward to continuing to work with you. Um, thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next time.
0: The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.